My discussion today will resonate with um, Sheikh Muhammad Omar. Um, again, thinking about theorizing difference and diversity in Muslim thought. One of our experiences over five years, despite the impetus to identify commonalities, is the importance of recognizing and dealing with difference. And if you like, that's part of the rationale for this opening session. So theorizing difference and diversity. Difference and diversity in the Quran, Sheikh Muhammad Umar has cited, I think, each of the verses which I raise here. You know, we see when we look at the verses which um, Sheikh has mentioned, and we look at the extensive engagement with the fact of diversity in the Quran, we see again and again different levels of diversity being attributed in source to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and repeatedly the hikmah suggesting that this diversity is a means towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So in Surah Al-Rum, وَمِنْ آيَاتِهِ From amongst his signs is the creation of the heavens and the earth and the variation of your tongues and your colors. The verse of Surah Al-Hujurat, which Shaykh emphasized, يَا nas إِنَّا خَلَقْنَاكُمْ Surely we created you, male, female, communities, Excuse me if I'm rendering the verses. Yeah. This I will come back to. Sheikh has already emphasized the implications and the richness of this hikmah which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala positions for diversity. Surah Al Ma'idah, and again, Sheikh mentioned this verse. For each of you. We have made a particular way or a path or a ritual form. So these verses of the Quran are extensive. But what about intra-Muslim differences, particularly in the matters of belief? So the last verse of Surah Al-Ma'idah, which I've mentioned, many of the Mufassirin would think this is talking about different religious traditions. Or it's talking about pre-Muhammadan traditions. This is the Sharia of Musa or the Sharia of other prophets of God. What about intra-Muslim differences in matters of belief? Aqaid. So this, it seems to be one of the points which are most sensitive. Difference in doctrines of belief, usul al-deen, tend to be the most sensitive for Muslims to deal with. Differences in furu' al-deen, or fiqh, or the interpretation of Sharia, is something which is almost universally taken for granted amongst Muslims. The extent of that legitimate difference may be different amongst schools and scholars and through history. But the fact of difference in interpretation of Sharia is something which is uncontested. Theological disciplines, however, whether it be disciplines like Ilm al-Kalam or whether you want to call it Ilm al-Asma wa sifat or any of the other disciplines which deal with aqaid, these often develop to prove other Muslims wrong. And this, they were often intolerant to difference. And it seems to me that there is, of course, clear space for theories that can accept and even embrace theological difference. Now, this is not a new question. Sometimes we think, Engaging with difference and diversity is a new question because of our particular circumstances. But this has been a question which has been, it's an old question. 
because difference and diversity is a fact of human existence. So we need theories which can accept, accommodate, embrace difference while still encouraging the pursuit and defense of truth. We don't want theological indifference. We want, we're all people aspiring to promote truth and seeking of truth. And this is something which I said is not a new question. So we could look, for example, for precedent from Abu Hamid al-Ghazali in his Faisal al-Tafriqa, Bain al-Islam, Wazandika, which is, it seems to be one of his key purposes of that text. Okay, to promote yeah, um, theological tolerance. Okay, if we, despite the problems with that term, which Sheikh Umar has rightly pointed out to, okay, and yet imply that we still have a scope to seek the truth and need to seek the truth. Of course, he does so by um, developing his theory of ta'wil yeah, and various other things. I'm not going to focus on Ghazali in this presentation, although there are other experts here where we could discuss it in the question and answer. One thing to highlight from that text is that he emphasizes the kufr is taqdeeb al-risala. Okay, and nothing more. So it's about ultimately holding a belief or a position which is tantamount to describing the Prophet of God as a liar. If one's position doesn't end with that, it isn't a legitimate basis for kufr. Okay, kufr is taqdeeb al-risala, not holding incorrect beliefs. So simply holding an incorrect belief is not a basis for kufr according to Ghazali. My here then elaborates that differences arise from what he calls interpretive, what I'm rendering as interpretive presuppositions. He thinks ta'wil is pervasive across Muslims, even amongst the Hanabila, who are more um, literally inclined. Okay, the difference he argues is the extent of ta'wil, not the existence of ta'wil. But I want to focus on theories of ijtihad and how these can be a framework for us to think about the space for difference and diversity in theological beliefs. And ijtihad specifically in Usul al-Din, theories of ijtihad in Usul al-Din, I will raise the theories or discuss briefly the theory of Ibn Taymiyyah and Mirza al-Qummi. So theories of ijtihad and accounting for difference of opinion, why is this relevant? Okay, look, accepting the need for scholarly effort, scholarly, scholarly effort generally, not specifically in the matters of fiqh, okay? So if we use ijtihad in its broader sense here, as the two scholars who I will focus on do, accepting a need for scholarly effort directly suggests there will be diversity of opinion. Because the assumption is if we need ijtihad, the evidence is not absolutely clear. For some of the ulama, they would describe this, it means that the evidence, the dalil is not absolutely qat'i. Okay, it requires effort. So difference of opinion is likely. It's a basic implication of accepting a need for ijtihad. So how to account for the difference which arises? This, of course, is a classical controversy in Usul al-Fiqh okay, with regards to matters of furu' al-Fiqh, with regards to interpretations of Sharia. And we have, it's known to the ulama who are present, just briefly, we have two major theories, or what I prefer to call groups of theories, 
tasweeb theories, okay, sometimes described as inerrancy theories, and taqti'a theories, sometimes described as fallibility theories. Tasweeb theories basically hold, and there's a range of positions here, I don't want to go into the details of the differences, in the absence of explicit texts, nusus, which are qat'i in their dalala, okay, as well as their provenance, all suitably determined opinions are correct. Every mujtahid is musib. Kullu mujtahid, musib. Takhta'at theories on the other hand, and again this is just giving a, if you like, a highlight of a diverse range of theories which we could describe as takhta'at theories. Only a single position, the object of the search, the object of the ijtihad, okay, is correct in any given circumstances. Al-Musib is wahid. And false opinions, because there's going to be false opinions. We said ijtihad implies there's going to be diversity. Right? False opinions may be authoritative, maybe hujjah, okay, and excused if they're procedurally sound. Okay, or as we shall see, even maybe sincere. So what about takhta and taswib specifically in usul al-deen, in matters of belief? Look, there's wide agreement among scholars of usul al-fiqh, across usul al-fiqh traditions, Sunni and Shia, regarding what is sometimes described as akliyat, the subject matter of usul al-deen. That the correct position in al-akliyat is wahid. Al-musib fil-akliyat is wahid. Okay, al-musib fil-akliyat wahid. For example, the world can't be hadith and qadim at the same time. Right? It's not possible that the world is eternal. Okay, and created at the same time. If one person believes it's eternal and one person believes it's created, only one of the two is possible. It's not possible there be one God and three gods. Okay? One is only possible. For the dominant tradition in Usul al-Fiqh, Sunni and Shia, there are implications to holding incorrect beliefs in such matters. Okay, for subscribing to false doctrines is considered a sin widely worthy of divine punishment, and maybe a cause of unbelief. This has been characterized by some scholars as a soteriological intolerance. Okay, and, and at least I'm being a bit softer. This is an apparent intolerance to diversity and difference in matters of belief. Okay, although I'm saying this is often portrayed as the dominant position, we find different views on this matter in both Sunni traditions and Shia traditions. And that's where I will turn my attention to now. I guess my time is running fast, so I should move quicker. So Ibn Taymiyyah discusses this matter in his Minhaj al-Sunnah. Okay, the context is interesting for our setting. In the context of responding to criticism of the Sahaba, okay, he describes criticism as either a lie, outright lie, okay, either an exaggeration, or that criticism may be true. He continues, as in most of these truthful instances, there is an excuse which removes the Sahaba from sin. And he then, this is a short introduction to the, the discussion, long discussion, 40 odd pages. He then moves to a broad discussion and critique of different views on this issue of taqta'a and taswib. Fundamental to his argument is he undermines the distinction between Usul al-Din and Furu al-Din. He gives four arguments for this, problematizing it in accordance with the Quran, Sunnah, Ijma, the views of the Salaf, and early Sunni Imams. I won't discuss those now. Quoting two quotes 
to give you a sense of Ibn Taymiyyah's view as I've understood it from his Minhaj Sunnah. He says that Ahl Sunnah do not consider a view heretical. Ahl Sunnah la yabtad'una qawlan wa la yukaffiruna man ajtahada fa'akta'a. He says Ahl Sunnah do not consider a view heretical, do not deem an unbeliever one who does ijtihad and gets it wrong. Okay, but what follows is very interesting. وَإِنْ كَانَ مُخَالِفًا لَحُمْ Even if that view is opposed to the Ahl-Sunnah. مُكَفِّرًا لَحُمْ Even if the other thinks the Ahl-Sunnah are kafir. مُسْتَحِلًّا لِدِمَائِهِمْ Even if it's legitimate to fight the others in war. Right? كَمَا لَمْ تُكَفِّرَ الصَّحَابَ الْخُوَارِجِ مَعَ تَغْفِيرِهِمْ لِعُثْمَانِ وَعَلِي وَمَنْ وَلَاهُمَا Just like the Sahaba did not consider the Khawarij, okay, those who did takfir of Uthman and Ali as non-Muslims, despite it being legitimate to go to war with them. Later on in the passage, he says, al-mujtahid al-mustadal or mustadil. The mujtahid employing evidence, and he's clearly using mujtahid in a broad sense here, because he explicitly states, bihi an imam, a judge, a scholar, a nadir, a theologian, or a munadir, a debater, a mufti, or other than these. If he infers and he is wary of God, if he is wary of God to the extent of his capacity, Allah will not hold him accountable for his errors. Absolutely. If he infers a position, he's wary of God to the extent he is capable, then this is what Allah makes him accountable to. Okay, he is obedient to Allah, deserving of reward. If he is obedient, observant to the extent he is capable, he will not be punished. So he is musib in the sense that he is obedient to Allah. But sometimes he knows the truth as it actually is. And sometimes he does not. We get it wrong. Mirza Qummi. Mirza Qummi's name might be less familiar to many of you. He became the most important scholar of his time. Okay, in the in Iran in the 19th, 18th, 18th, 19th centuries. Spent 40 years in Qum in the second half of his life. Hence Qummi. He studied mainly in Iraq, in Karbala. One of the most important students of the Shia Usuli reviver, Wahid Bihbahani. Wahid Bihbahani is often described as the founder, or reviver is the right way, of the dominant modern 12er Shia school, which exists today. Okay? Yeah. He's not a peripheral figure. He's author of this text, Al Qawanin Al Muhkama. This text, he, was, he has works of fatawa, various um, works. This is a work of Usul al Fiqh which was central to the training of Shi students in the Hawza un, um, until very recently. Okay? Mirza Qummi on this issue of Takhta and Taswib fi Usul al-Din. He again, like Ibn Taymiyyah, says it is in, it, the incorrect belief does not necessitate sin and damnation. He challenges the typical argument. Typical argument is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, فَعْلَمَنَّهُ لَا إِلَهِ إِلَّا اللَّهِ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, No, there is no God but God. Okay, so it means that Allah must have given us appropriate evidence. 
So if I get it wrong, it means I'm at fault. I'm culpable. This is the typical argument, okay? Which we see Ibn Taymiyyah doesn't follow, actually. Yeah, and Mirza Qumi explicitly criticizes. Mirza Qumi says this is only sound if our duty is to actually reach the truth and reality. But our duty is to reach the truth in accordance to our own investigation. Assuming there is no taqseer, you know, there is no negligence on our part. Okay, and there is no minimalism, you know, no tafrit. He makes a distinction between the aslal usul wa tafasiluha, right? The, um, the fundamental, the principle of fundamental doctrines and their details. Right, the, the principles of doctrines he concedes. The principles of the doctrines, maybe there is in evidence, enough evidence. He says, Laysa ba'id, actually. All right, so he's a, he's ex- he, you, though you will understand the connotation of that language. Okay, yeah, he says, principles of the doctrines themselves may be known definitively universally. The evidence may be strong enough to give cut absolutely to everybody in every time and every age. Okay, so it's not implausible that this is the case. Like there is a creator, there are prophets, there is a life to come. Yeah, this is Aslul Usul. Aslul Usul, two minutes. Okay, but the evidence for all the details of these doctrines, this is not universally definitive. Yeah, the nature of Allah's attributes, their relationship with His essence, the nature of prophecy, the nature of the Akhirah, is it physical, is it non-physical, so on and so forth. Immateriality of God, various examples. Unless, of course, established explicitly and definitively by Tawatur with Qat'i Dalala, yeah, and after you have accepted that that's a valid source of a means to the Prophet. Right? So, truth in fundamental doctrines for Mirza Qummi is one. Al Musib is Wahid. But accountability, just like Ibn Taymiyyah, is in accordance with our subjective understanding of. The evidences. Of course, assuming no leg- negligence, no obstinacy, no inad, okay, our responsibility is to the truth to the extent the truth is disclosed to us. Kufr in its ukhrawi sense, which leads to damnation in the next world for Mirza Kummi, is only to not submit to the truth as it is disclosed to us. So, my final slide. Difference and diversity in Muslim scholarly thought. Look, theories of ijtihad, this is not the only way we can think about these things. But I think they can allow for an embracing of difference when it comes to belief. Neither Ibn Taymiyyah nor Mirza Qumi were indifferent to the truth. They sought the truth. They sought to promote their understanding of the truth, to share their understanding of the truth. They assume there is haq fi nafs al-amr. Okay, there is truth in reality actually out there. But we may all be mistaken in our understanding of it. Neither are intolerant to error, despite the reputation of some of them. Right? This allows for the assumption that my errors may be sincere. Okay? And not unbelief. Accountability, reward, punishment are in accordance with our capacity and our best understanding. It seems to me that these two theories 
can be a beautiful platform to encourage us to continually seek the truth with humility. Not despite difference, but through our engagement with difference. And maybe this is one of the secrets of the ayah, which Sheikh Muhammad Umar emphasized. Ya nas inna khalaqnakum min dhakrin wa unfa wa ja'alnakum sha'uban wa kaba'il lita'arafu. To me, it's not satisfactory just to know each other. Even the linguistic interpretation of this ayah, lita'arafu, this is wabu mufa'ila, it's through each other. To understand through each other. Walhamdulillahi rabbil alameen wa sallallahu ala sayyidina Muhammad wa ahli bayti tayyibina tahirin.